let's start as we always do with something simple, which is hi, how are you? Oh, oh, uh, okay, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. We've been good. doing this for almost a year and a half, and I love that it still takes you by surprise every time. Well, it's like one of the worst questions. Well, unfortunately, it's the title of our podcast, so you're just going to have to accept that. I know. No, I'm, I'm going to tell you how I am, Hava. Great. You can answer with whatever level of authenticity feels authentic for you. No, I, I try to answer every week with the most authenticity possible. Mm-hmm. And this week, I'm answering, like I do with every week, with a resounding, I'm doing great. <laughs> I am very excited with this little tiny bit, this little snippet of Talmud that I brought. I love a snippet. It's a very small snippet, but it's a snippet that goes deep. And mm-hmm. I hope you'll uh, appreciate that once we get into it. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm fine. I ate an entire bag of dill pickle potato chips last night. Yeah, what brand? Uh, fuck. Um, Uts? Yeah, Uts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those are good. They're very sweet, I feel like, which is interesting. They're great. They're one of my new favorite flavor of potato chips. That and all-dressed potato chips. Have you had those You know what? I just recently learned that the phrase in a pickle comes from Shakespeare. Really? Yeah, it's used in the Tempest to refer to like some drunkenness, like being in a pickle as a drunken state. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Fun fact. (laughs) Okay, neat, neat, neat. Uh, Have you ever had all dressed potato chips? I don't think so. They're like kind of sour cream and onion a little bit in vibe, but also kind of barbecue. It's a Canadian thing. I used to really like sour cream and onion potato chips when I was a kid, but I've really grown out of them now i'm a salt and vinegar girl yeah yeah no i feel like sour cream and onion is like a good under 20 under 18 year old <laughs> potato chip you heard it here first folks sour cream and onion the official potato chips of childhood but then you got to graduate you know to, mm-hmm. to some other right flavor. to grown up serious potato chip flavors like manila yeah would well, you say manila <laughs> yeah like the envelope yeah because it's a grown-up flavor and manila is a grown-up material i didn't know manila was also a flavor i thought it was just an envelope no it's not a flavor it's not a flavor i was <laughs> okay this joke has clearly fallen apart the point was that you have to move to grown-up potato chips which are gross so i picked a item that would be gross as a flavor and is also associated with adulthood like a manila folder i see i see yes, just, yes, yes. let's just let it die a peaceful death i caught on to that but i wasn't sure it just seemed so so over the top listen just let it go okay fine 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 i'm becoming an old man and getting really into uh the fucking dark russet kettle cook you know about the dark russet potato oh, chips oh i haven't had those they're you know whatever anyway how <laughs> how are you uh Baruch Hashem. i'm well later this week i'm gonna be participating on the conversion bait den of a dear friend of mine so i'm really excited and honored this is my first time doing that it just feels really special i'm really excited and then also today lex friend of mine host of judaism unbound messaged me about planning an in-person event for tisha b'av and i was like that's crazy but i kind of think like yeah maybe tish b'av tisha b'av it's gonna be on july 17th yeah so i don't know it's just crazy to think about like having an in-person jewish event it's been so long since that happened but it feels like it might 
be an okay time to have another one, which feels pretty crazy to me. But also like when I started thinking about it, I was like giddy with excitement at the idea of hanging out with people <laughs> again. Whoa. Other than that, I've just been playing the shit out of this game, Biomutant, that came out on the 25th. That is just honestly the bee's knees. So the reviews were too critical? Yes, the reviews were too critical. Don't listen to the reviews, except for mine, which I'm giving you right now. I've realized, you know, I was censoring myself about my Animal Crossing content, but it turns out we have actually a lot of listeners who play video games, uh, so I will censor myself no longer. Okay, are you sure it's a lot? (laughs) Even if it's one righteous listener who plays video games. This goes out to you. If you like action open world games, go give Biomutant a try. It is super fun and super cute. Very worth your time, IMHO. Anyway, now that Michael is done criticizing me for playing video games, let's talk about Talmud. Oh my god. Okay, we're going to talk about Talmud. (laughs) You brought this upon yourself. I wasn't criticizing you. I was just... (laughs) Mm -hmm. You were just making a snide remark. Today we are going to Menachot. 37a Ooh, we've never been there before can you tell the listeners what menachot is about yeah yeah theoretically theoretically it is about grain-based offerings you make at the temple mm-hmm. throughout mm-hmm. the year you know for various reasons that's what this is about just like a really quick side digression the word menachot comes from the same root as the word menucha which means comfort or like peace, a peace of mind. It's just interesting to think like menachot, which is like the kind of offering, they're sort of like comforts to God, I guess. Like they're like God's creature comforts. Or does like giving the offering give you comfort? Oh, yeah. I was assuming it was just like a very sort of anthropomorphic old style, like, oh, God's up there in his palace and he needs some grain to make him comfortable. Anyway, enough about the etymology of the Masechet. Let's talk about the fragment. Okay, so this fragment isn't about grain offerings to God. For whatever reason, the rabbis get on to a discussion of the proper way of dealing with wearing tefillin, how to wear it. Mm -hmm. There's this little issue that's brought up by a guy named Palemu, and he brings it to Judah Hanasi. He brings up the issue of Sheyeshlo Shenei Roshim, a person with two heads. And he asks, how does a person with two heads wear tefillin? Judah Hanasi dismisses him and says, like, this is crazy. But then another random person shows up and says, actually, hey, I have a two-headed son, so I need to know how much I need to give to the priest in order to redeem him. Your firstborn son, you got to give five selaim to the priest, basically a tax on a firstborn son or a blessing that you get from the priest on your firstborn son. They actually talk about what you do in this particular case. Mm-hmm. According to the Talmud, you treat them like two people. So double to fill in one on each head oh they don't go into the filling oh you pay double price to redeem your two-headed child yes you pay double price so i would assume that means you probably also need to get two to fill in for your double-headed child yeah well i'm not sure they seemingly don't resolve that issue but i would assume you do need two to fill in because the reason we put fill in on our head is because of the verse that says to keep it as a sign between your eyes So if you have two of those places, I would assume you would need to take care of both of them. I would assume so. But it gets even wilder. If you go and you read Tosafot, the medieval commentary on this section of Talmud, they talk about a myth. 
about King Solomon. Great. The myth that they reference very quickly, I will tell you now. I'm ready. I'm ready for a myth. King Solomon. You know how he hangs out with demons? He can, like, control them, communicate right. with He's them. He's a very magical boy. Ashmadai comes up and hangs out with King Solomon. Ashmadai is like the king of demons. He says, I'm going to show you something you've never seen before. And he brings a two-headed man out from under the ground. Whoa. He's referred to as a Cainite, so like a, uh, a son of Cain. Mm-hmm. And according to legend, he marries, has a normal life, has wife, kids, and even one of his kids has two heads. And then when that original Cainite dies, all the sons go to Solomon because they want to know whether or not the son with two heads should get two portions of the inheritance. Oh. Okay, so Ashmedai brings up a two-headed man. Yes. Ashmedai, king of the demons. King of the demons. Brings up a two-headed person, and then someone comes along and asks whether that two-headed person would get double the inheritance. No, King Solomon presided over a legal case between the two-headed son of a two-headed man and whether or not he should get two portions of his inheritance. And the origin of the two-headed man who had a two-headed son is that he was taken up from the underworld by Ashmadai to show Solomon. Oh, okay. It's all coming together now. And does it tell us what the verdict is of that debate? Well, yes. So apparently Solomon takes either cold water or hot water, depending on the story, throws it on one of the heads of the two-headed son, and both heads flinch. So the conclusion is that it's actually one person they both feel and act as one and so they only get one inheritance and this directly contradicts the talmud right what a mystery i don't know it's so funny like all of the random ephemera that gets recorded in the tradition you know like tales of two-headed sons i think sometimes the talmud is just like a big net that's been trawling along jewish history just like scooping up everything we are sort of like picking through the flotsam and jetsam for shiny baubles. I love it. It's amazing. It tickles me. We're not done, Hava. Oh, of course. What is the origin of this story? On my path of trying to discover what the oldest source of the story is, I came across a little passage in the Zohar. There's a story of how when Cain died, he descends into the netherworld. And the netherworld is a very interesting place. Vichola Hatse de Inun Toldot de Cain Vaal da Inun Bitrain Reshin Kitrain Hevan. So Cain is residing in this double world of darkness and light. Wow. And when Cain arrives, he sort of creates unity between this two worlds controlled by two different rulers. The result of this is that there's offspring that live in this world that end up having two heads whoa yeah and there's other myths where there's a lot of doubling of body parts on different animals and stuff like that associated with this particular realm of the underworld this links at least to the solomon story it's just interesting to kind of go into the talmud find this little tiny piece of medieval commentary that's glued in there and have it relate to something in the zohar it's really really interesting wow wow yeah, I mean, it's all, it's just all so interwoven. The earliest actual reference to the stories is a scrap 
in the Cairo Geniza. Whoa. I love when things come back to the Cairo Geniza. I know. I know. I feel like it's like we should have a drinking game every time something we're studying turns out to be a scrap in the Cairo Geniza. We take a drink. <laughs> I just love that. It's like, okay, this story existed in Tosafot and also in Zohar, a related story. Mm-hmm. And then later in the late 1800s, 1900s, when the discovery of the Cairo Geniza happens. So you have a piece of Midrash that is this story about Solomon and a two-headed descendant of Cain coming up from the earth and living a life among the Israelites and having legal disputes. Wow, that's pretty stinking cool. I have one last bit, one last bit. Wow, how much further can the chain go? Okay, the chain is crazy. Now, this is my conjecture. I love it. Truly just talking shit here on the pod, as always. Oh, oh, this is total, like, historical garbage that's about to come out of my mouth. There was a small Gnostic antinomian sect in the second century that existed in the Roman Empire, That at least that some people described them as Cainites, who glorified Cain. And they were Gnostic and they were antinomian. Gnosticism is kind of um, a vague term encompassing all sorts of beliefs, but one of the main tendencies is that you believe in kind of a dualistic universe where there's a weak God, like our God, Hashem, who creates Mm -hmm. the universe, and that's kind of a false God, and a hidden God who's actually more like a God of the non-material world. And what you want to do is kind of go beyond the physical world, unmask the physical world. So this is a very threatening idea to both Christians and to Jews. Right. Nobody likes it. Nobody likes it. In addition to being Gnostic, they're antinomian. Antinomian can also mean a lot of different things, but it's generally associated with people who reject religious laws. Right. Like Shabbatai. Exactly. So according to, you know, secondary sources at the time, these people were doing Shabbatai-like stuff, Mm -hmm. rejecting the laws of Tanakh, generally getting up to crazy shenanigans. Right. I don't know if anyone has made this connection, but I think there may be some sort of interesting connection, this cult from the second century AD and Mm -hmm. this Zohar referencing a kind of a dualistic idea and a two-headed man and probably a lot of cross-pollinating going on. Right. It's just a a wonderful multi-century art project that was just stumbled upon in the commentary of the Talmud. And there you go. Wow. That's what I got. Yeah. Well, that's wild. I've heard a lot of cool stories about Cain and demons, and I'm actually going to send you a link to another Ashmedai story. Wow, that was a fun and wild ride. I love little ephemera like that, and I love seeing the interconnections. I was really obsessed with the mark of Cain as a child. I was like, what is this weird magical mark? Like, I want to know about it. Were you like eating like sour cream and onion potato chips? As yeah, you were, sour- like- I was eating sour cream and onion potato chips and thinking about the mark of Cain. That's great. Dear listeners, I hope you all enjoyed this wacky romp. We're going to be on the wacky romp vibe for a while. I think we're just going to be doing fun, lighthearted Talmud for a little while before we do our next serious series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I hope you all enjoy being along for the ride. 
We certainly enjoy having you with us. Give us a call in the Talmud hotline. You can find the number in the description. Tweet at us. Email us at gmail.com. Tell us fun things. Tell us tidbits about your life. Tell us things you want us to talk about on the show. We, this summer, are getting new podcast art from a Jewish artist you all know and love. And there will be new merch, definitely with some freebies for patrons. So be looking forward to that. And we will talk to you all soon. Yeah. Shavua Tov. Shavua Tov.